Hello, and welcome to The Consumer VC. I am your host, Mike Elb, and on this show, we talk about the world of venture capital and innovation in both consumer technology and consumer products. If you're enjoying this content, you could subscribe to my newsletter, theconsumervc.substack.com to get each new episode and more consumer news delivered straight to your inbox. Thank you, Mike Duda, for the introduction to our guest today, Lindsay Kaplan, co-founder of Chief. Chief is a private network focused on connecting and supporting women leaders. Previously, she was part of Casper's founding team and led communication and brand engagement. In this episode, you'll learn about the inner workings of professional networks, the opportunity she saw, and why she decided to structure Chief as a for-profit scalable entity, as well as her approach to brand. Without further ado, here's Lindsay. Lindsay, thank you so much for joining me. How are you? I am freezing. (laughs) It's late April and it was snowing this morning in New York. So I'm freezing. How are you, Mike? Oh my gosh. I am not freezing. I'm in LA. It's partly cloudy over here. I don't think we actually know what weather is. You know what? As long as you're not in Miami, then I will respect you because everybody who flooded to Miami, I have nothing but bitter, jealous and resentment towards. Yeah, it's so crazy that everyone from the East Coast seems to just be hitting up Miami. So what was your attraction to working in corporate at the very beginning of your career? Yeah, great question. I think so much of what attracts people to startups is driven by personality. I am an extremely impatient person. I like to get my hands in things. I don't like waiting. I'm one of those people that um, when I took math when I was a kid, I didn't want to show my work. I just wanted to do the work. And I think that really sums up the difference between uh, startup and corporate, which is you can move quickly. You can get stuff done. You can put your hands in a lot of different things. And you really can't do that in corporate. So I started my career at a somewhat corporate nonprofit, Oxford University Press. I say this with affection, stodgy, stodgy company, lovely people, but very slow paced. And um, I knew pretty quickly that although I enjoyed it, it wasn't a fit for my personality. So I was happy to kind of explore startup world and dive in headfirst. So you love the turbulence, you love the fast pace, and also maybe the being maybe more of a generalist rather than doing just one specific activity or having one specific uh, specialty. Before you became, you know, the first hire at Casper, you worked at a few companies that didn't quite make it. What were some of the learnings from those experiences? Yeah, the first is just timing is everything, right? So you could have a great idea, you could have the right founder, the right backers, And sometimes it's just product market fit and timing. People don't talk about that enough. So uh, I think that was certainly the case. I had worked at a, um, a social commerce company that I think was a little bit five years ahead of its time. I worked at a digital magazine that was probably five years too late. I think that was a real learning for me, which is just really having your finger on the pulse of of. Not what is trending necessarily with VCs, but what the consumer wants before they know they want it. So when you were thinking about then from those experiences, when you were thinking about or were approached for Casper, why did you think that maybe timing might have been right here? Yeah, well, timing felt 
wrong for me in the sense that I had worked at a few startups, felt really burned out. I was running marketing. And so when there's no traction and you're the marketing person, you just want to die. At least I'm going to speak for myself. Being a marketing person and not being able to get traction, it feels horrible. It feels like you are the reason a startup isn't working. It was something that I felt really deeply and personally like a failure when I was working at some of these places. And so when I had a cold LinkedIn message from the CEO of a mattress company, I was in this existential place in my life where I was like, I'm going to leave New York. I'm going to either go upstate and write a novel or I'm going to go to business school because this isn't working. So anyway, we had coffee and I realized, you know, there was something really magical around a stead old terrible word like mattress that felt right for disruption, right? Like there are so many different boring things in life that I find able to, um, and I, again, I don't like the word disruption because it's so overused, um, but I love sleep, right? I think sleeping and dreaming and breakfast in bed and sex and storytelling and everything that comes into the world of bedtime is fascinating and nobody had told that story. So I felt like the timing was right both in terms of um, building a really interesting brand, but also a consumer was so willing now to take a leap and buy something bigger, more expensive online. And there was a lot less friction in the return process. So that felt like a real culmination to me of both brand as well as product uh, trial appetite. What was it like being on that rocket ship at Casper? Totally bizarre. The five founders of Casper were some of the smartest, most complimentary people that I have ever worked with. Five founders seems like a red flag. It probably does not work. It's not something that I would advise anybody to go out and do and say like, go launch something with five founders. But it worked in this case. Everybody had a superpower, which is something that I took away from that experience is really looking for as I found my co-founder, um, as well as early people that were joining me at Chief. But it was, it was a really incredible experience with smart, brilliant people that kind of gelled in the right way and brought different, interesting things to the table. I think one of the hurdles for me ended up becoming something that was really fun, which is even just knowing that mattress was such a terrible category to get into, that the word made people cringe. Before Casper was a name brand, I told people I was working for a mattress company and I could visibly just watch people kind of cringe and uh, roll their eyes. Like that's, that's a real conversation killer. So that became a real interesting challenge for me as I thought it was um, something I could overcome. So also just on the brand side, actually getting people excited about mattresses or even when you're just sharing that you work at a mattress company that people wouldn't actually cringe of it because you were onto something really exciting. Yeah, and I loved that. I, I love a challenge. I think in my experience, I probably wouldn't ever try to build brand around something that already has phenomenal brands around them. I love a challenge. I love going somewhere where I can kind of build something from scratch. And it felt like at the time, I mean, there were... 20 copycats kind of like chasing after us after a while. But at the time, it felt like we were really doing something new and had a, a really unique take on something that looking back felt obvious, right? It feels obvious to say this is a really interesting category and nobody had built a brand around sleep. What was the insight that led you to founding Chief? At these previous companies, you were always one of the first employees. What made you want to take the step and actually become a founder? Madness. I think I think after being early 
in a few places that didn't work and then early at a place that that did really take off. I felt like I had joined Casper. It was funny. I joined Casper and I was like, hey guys, can I be VP? And they, they kind of looked around like, there's six of us. Like you can call yourself whatever you want. It really doesn't matter, Lindsay. And so as I had been at Casper for over four years, I actually did become a vice president, right? Like I, I went from having, you know, being the person that was writing every tweet and doing everything, uh, sitting around a table of eight people to actually having a pretty large team, having um, you know a few different departments under me, having budgets that I didn't understand for the first time, and really big challenges. And it was at that moment where when I, I needed more support that I actually felt like women were asking me to get coffee, to talk to them about their career. I was being asked to speak on panels. And my co-founder, who was working at Handy at the time, um, essentially acting as COO, was going through a similar issue where she felt like now as a woman, you were kind of like de facto mentor, like, hey, you made it. Here you go. Here's your like big briefcase of things to do for other women to now go through. So that led us to a place of wanting to create something for executive women that could support one another. That was the the kernel of the idea. I think at that point I had learned from Casper as an early employee what to do and I had seen from previous companies what not to do. And I felt really confident in the experience that I already had, but also what I didn't know that could kind of lead me with my gut blindly into building something pretty big. What were some of the learnings of what not to do? Ooh. <laughs> What not to do. So the first what not to do is don't find somebody to be a co-founder that sounds like you, that has your superpower. Uh, I saw that at previous startups and what I, what I learned from Casper, and I said this previously, but five co-founders coming together with really complementary skill sets. My co-founder at Chief is um, an incredible operator. She is HBS. She, we call her the bento box because she is structured. She is organized. And if she is a bento box, then I am kind of like a big bowl of chili because I am like emotion and gut and passion and creativity. And that works really well together. And I've seen a lot of co-founders coming together that have similar backgrounds, that worked at the same companies together. I think that's a mistake. Find somebody that doesn't bring what you have to the table so you can have two superheroes in the room. So that's, that's a huge learning. So when you're choosing your co-founder, really actually look for complementary skills and also what you're maybe not good at, right? Exactly. Since you're a marketer, how did you go from, you know, a mattress is a tangible object and chief community, it's something that's not tangible. How did you approach brand and maybe what were some of the differences in your marketing that maybe to create or to have chief seem tangible, if that makes sense? Yeah, it's a great question because when I started to think about Chief and my co-founder and I were working on early concepts, she came to me with this brand idea that was so bad. We make fun of her to this day about it. It was just ugly. It was just pictures of, of like stock images of women laughing, holding glasses of wine, wearing like a power suit and a name tag. And she was like, what do you think about this mood board? And I was like, this is a great. This is perfect. This is everything I don't want to do. Let's put a big red circle around it. Let's take it out back and kill it because this is terrible. And I knew at that point I wanted to develop something that was on one hand, not crusty, that actually felt interesting and cool. But on the other hand, at this point, this was 2018, the wing was really big and very trendy. And I didn't want to go 
and play in that pit of uh, pink feminism, right? Like it, it felt very off and what I didn't feel comfortable with as a professional woman. And so to get tangible, I actually wanted to build a space. And that was a big point of contention as we went out and we were raising seed, right? Because the wing was so big, because WeWork was huge, nobody needed another co-working space. And that was never the point. We wanted to build a community that had a home, that had a bit of a tangible, real-life representation of what the brand stood for, not a space that would become a co-working space, not something that became a real estate play. And so I spent basically my entire marketing budget on designing and building out a small little Tribeca loft with a bar and couches. Um, and it felt really like a secret speakeasy clubhouse. And the website, because I blew all my budget on that space, was like a landing page that I believe is still there. We are, we are gutting it, but it's still up. Two and a half years later, it is a one pager I did with a freelancer that basically says nothing. And I feel great about that decision. I truly wanted you to walk into a space and feel what we stood for rather than trying to give you an Instagram uh, feeling of quotes and bullshit and pictures of women that didn't belong to Chief. That created a, a fake sense of what the brand was. How did you think about in terms of also maybe your product offering and what women would actually get if they actually signed up the chief and looking as well, maybe at like the competitive stack and what different types of uh, community building organizations were doing? Yeah, the number one draw, I think, for chief was actually the application process, right? Because all of these women have always been the de facto speaker. They are the de facto mentor. And so for us to say we're building a community very modeled off of YPO that says you have to meet these qualifications to get in. That creates a network where people can be themselves and feel selfish, right? Feel like they are coming here to get something, not to give. So just building that vetted network is a huge factor of why women wanted to join Chief. The second is our core groups. So we put together 10 person peer groups. We curate those based off of career level, meaning like a, a CEO of a Fortune 500 is in a different career as um, a startup VP. Life stage, those groups meet once a month with a seasoned executive coach in the room. And it's huge to have a confidential space to work through problems, to normalize challenges. We also have an entire workshop series that kind of goes beyond the basics and really digs into not just DEI, for example. How do you operationalize DEI at your company? right? Like really important masterclasses for, for senior level executives who are going through a, a period of time like none other to be running businesses. We also bring in incredible speakers because our women usually speak at events, right? So like if I'm going to bring in a speaker, I have to bring in a Mal Clooney. I have to bring in uh, Stacey Abrams. I need to bring in the big guns um, because we want to hear from them and we want to have off the record conversations on how they do it. And finally, we've built an entire digital platform. What started as a more in-person experience over the pandemic fully went online. So we have an app, a website. Um, it's a closed network with the ability to reach everybody and have a pretty robust community experience. 
Do you believe when it comes to building a community, I love the application process because I believe, you know, the essence of a true community or an idea or knowing if there is a community is actually knowing who actually might not be a good fit for a community, for example. It's hard to turn down customers, right? When I ran marketing at Casper, we didn't say no. We were happy to take your money and send you a beautiful foam mattress. The tough part here is we are a stronger community. We are a stronger network when we don't accept everybody, right? And that's not because we don't want women to be joining Chief, but again, for us to create that meaningful, impactful space for senior level executives, we have to make sure that people meet the requirements. And we hope that anybody who doesn't get in this year reapplies because, you know, hopefully their career is growing and they can join us in the future. How do you think about focus and scale? Because it seems like these are two maybe different parts in, in, in terms of focusing on specific types of people who are in their career, but also being able to scale and maybe having like a larger community. Yeah, so we started in New York. We've now scaled across LA, Chicago, San Francisco, Boston, and DC. And when we think about who is joining Chief, it is people who are A, dedicated to our mission of changing the face of leadership, um, and B, people that have really demonstrated a career that has experience as a leader and that uh, an individual who wants to make an, uh, an effect in their organization, right? So it's not just coming to join Chief to make yourself better, but our goal is to create ripple effects so that you as a leader go back into your organization. You feel stronger, you feel supported, and you've taken what you've learned and you can bring that to the top and affect change from the top down. In terms of also just how you think about scalability, it's expanding across into different cities rather than maybe open it up to maybe a a wider range of women, right? First, for me, I'd like to joke about world domination, which is kind of a half joke. Our ultimate goal is to build the most powerful network of the most powerful women in the world. And for us to do that, we want to make sure that we build a foundation and that we are driving impact for our current members. So we definitely don't want to expand too quickly. We've been rolling out city by city to make sure that we can open up, bring in a cohort, create those core groups, right? Like really continue to curate those groups. And so if we go too quickly, um, I would never want it to be at the detriment of our current members. So really mindful about growth and doing it in a really responsible way because our duty is to our members. I don't think short term we would expand broadly and go down into a more junior member because it kind of disrupts exactly what we stand for, which is the safe space for the executive. I think there is a path there in the future. I think there is a want for us to make sure, and there's definitely demand that we are hearing from people who are um, junior all the way through retired people who have left the workforce that that want to be a part of Chief. So it's definitely on our radar as something we would explore, but um, would probably do it in a way that our current community is still really sacred. Why did you decide to raise capital and what was it like when you raised your first round, your seed? Yeah, so I think we could have made Chief and done it as a lifestyle business, for sure. There's a lot of phenomenal nonprofits for women in business. There are a lot of lifestyle businesses, but my co-founder, Carolyn, and I wanted to go big. And I think if you want to change the face of leadership, you have to fight capitalism with capitalism. And for us to do it, again, we are impatient people. One of our brand values is time travel. How do we drive impact as quickly as possible? That involves money. And so having the resources was really important for us achieving our goal. 
The seed process was tough. It was tough, again, given the landscape of what was happening in 2018 and how big some brand name women's organizations were. We naturally were pitted against um, some pretty big, successful businesses. We felt that what we had was extremely different. We still feel it was really different. And we were really lucky to raise from some incredible people in the seed round. A lot of women VCs said no. And they said no, and I get it because they see so many women-led businesses. They get kind of dumped a barrage of, here's all the women founders, go fund them. We didn't have an MVP. It was Carolyn and Anna Deck and me kind of strolling into a room and talking a big game about our ideas. And so we're really thankful that Ben Sun from Primary, Jesse Middleton from Flybridge, who is an incredible community builder, co-led our seed. That's awesome. What was maybe the first aspect? Was it securing the space? Was that the first part to achieve that you had to secure? Yeah, so we, we wanted that that little home base because for in the beginning, our peer group meetings were meeting in person and we had in-person events. Almost everything we do is online now, but it was essential for us to have that space and do a build out. Fun fact, that original space of ours was actually one of Adam Newman's early apartments. So I definitely like burned some sage and tried to get rid of any, you know, bad karma that was happening at the time. The second thing we needed to do was hire, right? Like that is essential early startup. It's like, who is coming on first? Who is going to help you lay that foundation? Um, so those early hires were just crucial for us building out the experience for members. How did you approach hiring? So I approach hiring much in the way I approached finding a co-founder, which is finding people who have a superpower that is complementary to yours, that is different from what you bring to the table. So our early hires uh, wanted to roll up their sleeves, right? Like day one pre-launch startup people have to get their hands dirty, like without a doubt, have to really believe in the mission and have the energy and stamina to just like drive and crank towards something that doesn't have a clear uh, outcome the way a bigger, better company can. So I think there was a lot of selling the dream, which is really hard when you're, you know, covered in paint and exhausted and <laughs> brand new and don't have your shit together because it's very rare at that stage. Anybody has their shit together when they're pre-launch. And so I think it helps weed out people that are iffy because the early people are really believing, taking the risk and betting on the vision. So I was looking for people who had the same energy, tenacity, and passion for Chief that I had when I accepted that job at Casper. Talk to us a little bit about the pivot that you had to make during COVID. Since you were in different cities, was this maybe an opportunity where actually executives could meet each other that maybe normally wouldn't be able to meet each other since they were in different cities? Or just how did you kind of manage that whole thing? Yeah. So it's funny. If I look at my seed deck, we draw out, you know, five, eight year plan that does have this, this scale that happens with digital. And that pivot was supposed to be in like 2023, not 2020. And so it was a bit of moving some incredible pieces of our business around. But ultimately, I think it was for the best because what it allows us to do right now is democratize access to a professional network that you cannot do if you are saying, hey, group of 10 women, you have to be meeting in a room in lower Manhattan once a month, right? It causes some real issues as people are traveling, as people are home with kids, dealing with caretaking, anybody with disabilities. Like it's, it's a real elite 
privileged thing to say, which is like, you're going to meet in downtown New York once a month. And so I think moving online really democratized access to Chief. It allows us to bring people together that normally would never meet and to have a powerful network that powerful network has to be a lot bigger than your own backyard, right? So now we can get these powerful people together who are in different cities, who are traveling, who are, you know, working remotely. And it's that much more impactful to our members. So we still believe in the power of in-person. And so that original Tribeca studio that we made, we we did say goodbye to. Um, but we, next week, I mean, we are launching a five-story building in Flatiron. We have a massive building in LA with a gorgeous courtyard and we have a penthouse in Chicago. So we do believe in the power of the space. We wanted to make sure that we had a real um, flagship presence across the country. And I don't think we're ruling out building smaller probably spaces in the future. So we haven't ruled that out. We want to make sure that we are seeing how the new normal plays out in how people are using the space and what it's used for. And yeah, I think there are certainly some members that felt disappointed that we weren't meeting in person anymore. But ultimately, I stand by the fact that this democratizes access and that most people aren't privileged enough to have to come again, come to a space downtown and leave their family, leave work, you know, take the train, take the subway, get a cab to come and spend two hours with somebody. It's not realistic anymore. And so we hope that all of our members understand that while in-person is important, it's more important for us to democratize access. So what's next on the horizon for Chief? I understand in terms of product and app and, and, and being more mindful in terms of offering virtual experiences for people in Chief, but maybe to expand on that, what's the vision for the next five, 10 years on the line? Yeah, I mean, the vision is world domination. We have we have a wait list of people who are in different countries. We have a wait list of people who are not in major cities who are uh, waiting for Chief USA actively to open. And we have companies that are looking to Chief to figure out how to not only serve their executive women, but again, what does diversity look like? What does inclusion look like in the future, right? Like how can we have impact on truly changing the face of leadership and knowing that if corporations have so much power in America and we now have powerful people from those corporations within our network, how can we help drive change for the better? I love that. That's amazing. Yeah. Drive change and of course, inspire people. And buy a Casper mattress because they're great. Very comfortable. I sleep very well at night. <laughs> I do too, actually. I actually also sleep on a Casper mattress. You didn't even know this podcast was sponsored by Casper mattress. So go out and buy Throw a Casper. Back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so how did you approach fundraising at the Series A? The Series C, we were groveling. And my favorite, by the way, my favorite story from the seed is that uh, this incredible VC looked at us and he was like, you guys, I'm like on the board of a few D2C companies. Like you are trying to do five companies in one. You want a digital network, you have space, you're an events company, you're doing these peer groups and you're doing like masterclass workshops. Like pick a lane, ladies, which, you know, fair. It is kind of five businesses in one and I'm exhausted. The A round we have 
had a lot of traction. And so things were completely different. We ended up actually having to like stop the process because we had gotten so many term sheets and really were in the driver's seat, which was incredible. And so we were able to kind of choose the people that were going to join us on this phase of our mission. And so we were so lucky that Ken Chanel and Alexa Von Tobel from uh, General Catalyst and Inspired were really not only excited about what we were doing, but added so much value and so much experience. Ken, former CEO and chairman of American Express, just really understanding uh, membership, really understanding a premium brand, and also being one of 19 Black people to lead a Fortune 500 as CEO. If anybody understands, you know, leadership and DEI, it is Kenshinal. And then Alexa Von Tobel from Inspired, who with Penny Pritzker, I mean, raised this massive fund. Alexa is a startup founder beast. I mean, she had an incredible exit with LearnVest. And so powerful woman really understands how to like drive a startup from, from zero to 60. So we kind of had this amazing zoomed out look with Ken and this hustle and, and rolling up sleeves with Alexa. So we stopped the process and we were really excited that we could bring on our, our two favorite people that could join us in building chief. When I look at our board, I mean, Ben is a former operator, Jesse Middleton, who co-led the seed round, he had been at WeWork. And so Carolyn and I are deeply appreciative of people who have operated. You know, Ben's son's been doing VC for a while. He's incredible. Anytime I would raise seed ever again, I would go straight to Ben's son. He is a legend, but it's so great to have people at that boardroom table who understand business growth and not just kind of like the behind the scenes VC world. What was something you learned from Ben when it came to membership and retention? I think with Ben, it was more about focus. Ben was really instrumental in us understanding the metrics we needed to achieve in order for us to prep and get ready to raise that A. So I think early startup founders spin their wheels a lot. There's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of shiny things. The number one thing you have to do is focus and really understand the KPIs, really understand your goals and what milestones you need to hit in order to get to the next phase. What's one book that inspired you personally and one book that inspired you professionally? I would say recently I read the new Netflix book, an incredible take on culture, uh, especially as, as we're growing. We're nearly 100 people working at Chief. We have over 5,000 members. And there was an incredible analogy that, that Netflix really uses with leadership. Rather than thinking about top down, thinking about the roots and how culture and the business goals kind of come up through the roots into the trunk and the branches. So that always stuck with me as I'm thinking about growing our team and the culture in which we are trying to grow in our brand values. Uh, personally, a personal book. I don't know. I read The New Yorker. I'm on TikTok. I read a lot of junk. We'll put The New Yorker in. That's great. That's great. What's the best piece of advice that you've received? The best piece of advice came from Ken Chenault. As we were going through a tumultuous year, thinking through the pandemic effect on women, as we saw the um, fallout from the murder of of. George Floyd, Ken talked a lot around going to sleep at night and feeling like you stand by the decisions you've made as a person and as a business leader. I think about that all of the time, especially when there is a, a difficult moment in the workplace, just choosing to move forward in a way that you stand by your values and that you sleep well at night, knowing that you did what you thought was right. Another favorite piece of advice came from Kara Swisher, who I spoke with at Chief, who just says no 
all the fucking time. Like Kara loves the word no. Her time is too precious. I'm probably guilty of not doing this enough, but I love the way Kara Swisher tosses a, uh, a ballsy no around. Final question. What's one piece of advice that you have for founders? Uh, surround yourself with people unlike yourself, your co-founder, your early employees, your board. I think so many founders are in an echo chamber because they hire their friends and people that they're comfortable working with. Um, Get uncomfortable, get different people in the room to challenge you and hear what they have to say and hear them out in their own language. Lindsay, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for your time. This has been a blast. Mike, it was great chatting with you. It was a lot of fun. And there you have it. It was so amazing having Lindsay on the show. You can follow her on Twitter at Lindsay Cap. I'd love it if you'd write a review on the Apple Podcasts. You're also welcome to follow me, your host, Mike, on Twitter at Mike Gelb, and also follow for episode announcements at ConsumerVC. Thanks for listening, everyone. Listener.